Welcome, my listener, to another episode of Spam, 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 Humbug. This is episode 127 of the podcast. And we have another great discussion lined up for you. And this is the discussion that actually mentions, starts with, Pool of Radiance. I was editing the... So the last episode and this episode are... You can kind of think of them as a two-parter because it was a single recording session that gave us the audio for both. And I thought I had made the cut where they were talking about Pool of Radiance, but they were actually still talking about Knights of Legend and Pool of Radiance came a little bit later. So, um... I think that's where we start off with in this episode. And then, of course, per the norm, we move on to other topics from there. Just a reminder, of course, we are hosted now on Anchor.fm, new and much more social podcast hosting platform. You can find us at anchor.fm slash podcast or at spam, 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 humbug.com. And if you are visiting us via Anchor, you can take advantage of some of the community features there. You can leave us voice messages up to a minute in duration, give our episodes applause, you can like individual episodes or the podcast itself. And if you do the smart home thing, you can also uh, try saying, hey, Google, or hey, Siri, depending on whether you use Google Home or the Apple HomePod, play the podcast, spam, 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 humbug. See what happens. And of course, as always, a big thank you to our Patreon backers. You support the podcast and the Codex. By that means, with your monthly donations, you can donate to the podcast or to support the Ultimate Codex at patreon.com slash ultimacodex. And this episode, as always, is brought to you by our co-producers, Seth, Golden Flame, Chris, Brickbat, Dominic, Violation, Cranberry, Christopher, Bruce, Starkwraith, Dragon, Helgriff, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. All right, enough blather from me. Enjoy the show. I'm reminded of overworld travel in in uh, Pool of Radiance. Yeah, the gold box games. Man, that brings back some old memories right there. That wasn't that long ago. Pool of Radiance. <laughs> yes, I didn't I play have the second one lying around here somewhere. I believe the second one had a nasty uh, problem where if you uninstalled it. It might accidentally take your, I think it was your boot sector with it. Yeah. It, it did. It did some very heavily not nice things. That much I know for certain. Hmm. Yeah, that must be my other computer. I just pulled up my DOS box on this computer, and it only has the Ultima games. Hmm. Must be my other one. I have my uh complete gold box collection in. I've got all of that off of GOG. I bought them on GOG as well. I don't think my C64 versions would play too well on my PC. I somehow think they wouldn't. <laughs> Plus, I'm not sure how I'd get a five and a quarter inch floppy in this thing. <laughs> I swear, I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I... I saw somebody had a USB 5.0 floppy drive that they hooked up to a modern system. I'm thinking, how the hell do you get that? Well, I mean, you could probably just find... um, I've probably got an old CD-ROM enclosure around here somewhere that would, you know, mount a... um, Like, it just would mount an optical drive, standard tower-size optical drive, 
inside an enclosure that would then convert from PATA to USB. Actually, for that matter, I've got a um, I've got a connector kit around here somewhere that's you know um, PATA and SATA to USB two. Yeah, but where am I going to adapt my fifteen forty one IEC adapter to a PATA? Ah, <laughs> that's a little bit more custom for sure. Or my 1050 SIO connector. Uh, you see, the last five and a quarter I had, I think, actually did have a paddle on the back of it. So, And so do both of the 3.5ers I have kicking around here somewhere. I got a stack of three 1050 disk drives in my closet right here. Nice. Along with about a half a dozen Atari 8-bits. As you do. I just rebuilt my game shelf, such as it is. I don't have too many box copies anymore, but I definitely don't have five or six, you said, Ataris kicking around just for... <laughs> my uncle might still have his Atari, though. I should ask him. Well, mine came because I went to my parents' house about two years ago and asked my dad if he still had my Atari equipment. He said, no, I think your brother took it all. Ah. Yeah. So I went out and went on eBay and looked for sales and finally found one that was really cheap and then it didn't work. So then the next time I saw them, I bought like three of them. And the first one I tested worked, so I didn't check any of the others. And then I found a couple more at a yard sale. So that's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I just don't have the, uh, I don't have the necessary support to just go checking out every garage sale for stuff like that. I do occasionally, though. My my eldest now knows that if she's biking around with her friends and sees a garage sale, there's certain items that I'm looking for. And she hasn't found any of them yet, but she'll report back if she ever does. I'm assuming she writes it all off as, as daddy's nerdy stuff. Oh, she's right there along with it. I mean, she's every bit the gamer I used to be. So, you know, when I tell her, this is what the old computer boxes look like. If you see any, let me know. <laughs> and my wife actually stopped me on our way to our family reunion this past weekend. Because mm. there was a yard sale like a block down and she thought she saw some old computer equipment on one of the tables. You know, you got to take the chance on that kind of thing. So we turned around and went down the block, and it was old audio equipment. Oh, not quite the same. Oh. My dad would be interested in that. I don't think I need another reel-to-reel. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I don't know how many turntables and mixers and lately, like, you know, multi-disc CD changers I've bought at garage sales on my dad's behalf. <laughs> Eight-track... Um, I think his 8-track day, actually, by the time that I started to really care, he had long gotten rid of his 8-track collection. He moved on to cassettes. I still have an 8-track recorder. Ooh. Ah, <laughs> uh, old technology. But I used to make money in high school repairing electronics. Ah, well, there you go. Uh, you want to hear laughable about making money in high school? I was the person people would buy a pizza for if I'd actually help them set up a boot floppy for playing whatever uh, old DOS game they wanted to play. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you cut your teeth on the Ultima games. You can pretty much get anything to boot. <laughs> oh my five God. Era? <laughs> I can't begin to tell you the sort of fun I had trying to get a Windows 95 machine to boot to DOS just for Ultima 7. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, maybe this just runs kind of in the family because my dad, like, I mean, I love what I do with the podcast and I love the challenge of editing the audio sometimes, especially if I have to like grab stuff out and like splice it into different spots. And my dad is certainly like, he's a, he's an audiophile. I didn't inherit that. You know, I, I can't, I'm not one of those people who's like, ah, it's not so much better on vinyl. He's one of those guys. But, um, so I didn't inherit that year, but. Also on my mom's side, grandpa, in addition to being the guy who introduced me to computers, introduced me to programming, introduced me to Ultima, um, for the longest time, his computer boot sequence was hilarious because he actually, and I mean, like, we're talking, this is the days of like Windows 3.1, okay? So I don't even know how he put this together. I don't even know what audio editing software existed for Windows 3.1, if any. But whenever you booted up his computer, um, right after AutoExec had finished doing all of its business, and just before it hunted you into Windows 3.1, it would play a sound. And the sound would be, you know, like a very synth. No, it would be... It would be like, and I mean, it's very synth, you know, very synth kind of dun da da da. It's like two or three trumpets, maybe. I think it's supposed to be like a little horn section, but you know, very synthesized. But dun da da da, time for a beer. And it was my grandpa's voice saying, time for a beer. Like he had recorded himself and put this little musical note in front of it. And that was like, once AutoExec had finished all of its business, the last thing it did was play this WAV file that was just sitting resident on the drive. <laughs> dun da da da. If he had gotten the AdLib Gold back in the late 80s, he could have used it to record with a Vox recorder, and it could have actually been a Vox file that he played. Mm. I used to play with that a lot, too. Uh, No, it was definitely a WAV. It was definitely a WAV. Um, But yeah, just time for a beer, and then Windows launched. Or Ultima launched, depending on what we were trying to do at the time. He had auto-exec files for a lot of games. Oh, I should dump one of my uh, menu batch files for DOS for you guys. Ah, let's see. You know, it probably it probably looks a lot like the batch files that I maintain for work, because um, one of our main data collection tools is like it's designed to be portable. So it's basically a batch script that runs a lot of different portable utilities, um, and all kinds of menus and configuration options. And, ah, it's great. I could I should update its PowerShell, but I haven't yet because not everything has PowerShell. Well, nowadays more nowadays I can basically count on PowerShell being there. Like I mean, as more and more control systems modernize to Windows 10, I can basically count on PowerShell being present on the OS, but not always Windows 7. Are you kidding? I have PowerShell on my Linux servers now. Well, sure, yes, you do. You're a power user. Control system computers, eh, that's something else. They're pretty they can often be really quite hobbled and limited Mm. although i have to admit so for the last couple of weeks i've been at 
I haven't been at my regular office. I've been at one of our other offices in the area. And I've been staging two different virtualization environments for customers. And um, I get a kick out of two things. One, when I look at the back panel of the uh, Windows, like, so one of the, uh, one of the, units that is getting sent to each customer is a a desktop pc you know dell precision workstation tower um this which is, is backing away and making the sign of the cross because i used to work for them yeah it's all right um <laughs> unless i open the chassis because then the chassis intrusion alarm just does not shut up and every time i boot it's just like hey someone open the chassis i'm like yeah it was me shut up but anyways um <laughs> I, I just I love the back panels on these things though because it's like hey look a serial port hey look PS2 ports I, I haven't seen these on the back of a tower in five years so this is kind of fun and I mean like I, I get that for you know like workstation class computers this isn't actually that unusual because they do sometimes have to support that, especially the serial port very useful for configuring switches and things like that right because Cisco still does their thing but uh, yeah it's just but just the sheer amount of compute power that I've been surrounded by has had me just like mind blown. You know, I have 11 servers on my desk and each one of them has dual DecaCore Xeon processors, 128 gigabytes of RAM, an effective two terabytes of storage, although it's like nine drives in a RAID 10 configuration with one hot spare, so whatever. My God. I know, like just the sheer raw compute power that I'm surrounded by. But the idea is like I'm setting up entire control systems inside a virtualized environment. So I need that compute power. I really do. But just, you know, I, there was some, there's been a image going around on Facebook trying to, you know, an, another one of those uh, attempts to appoint a name to, you know, my generation. And I think the latest one is like the Xennials, right? So we're like, we're not quite millennials. We're not quite Gen X. We're kind of sandwished in between there sort of awkwardly. But uh, making the point that, you know, like this generation is the one that, you know, literally saw the consumer facing internet emerge. And, you know, just, I mean, and like, to be fair, like I can look back over like my entire life and just be, leaps and bounds i've seen technology grow by and computer technology grow by and internet technology grow by and so you know i'm surrounded by all of this computational power and i can call back to a time in my life and not that long ago in my life where this kind of you know having this kind of computational power times 11 would have been ruinously expensive for all but the biggest telecommunications providers <laughs> I was just having a discussion with my new Unix admin like a month ago about how when I was a kid, well, teenager, my dream was to get a Cray supercomputer. <laughs> and then I was... Well, I was reading the comparative uh, processor article, and the original Raspberry Pi has as much power processing power as the Cray 2 supercomputer. Yeah, I'd believe it. <laughs> believe it. I would. I was like, man, I got like 12 Raspberry Pis in my office at home. Yeah, you know, think about that. You've got 24 Crays worth of compute power just sitting right there. 
It's really sad to think about that I'm literally holding in my hand right now more computing power than it took for us to put a human being on the moon. What, you're holding a calculator? I was going to say I'm holding my cell phone, but yes. Oh, I thought he had his <laughs> microwave. Yeah, I can literally, like, if you have, like, a modern <laughs> microwave or, like, a Texas Instruments graphing calculator, you have more compute power in your hand than got us to the moon. Funnily enough, we wow. can't get back to the moon right now. We don't know the right rockets for it. Time to well, bring back the Saturn V. And the well, sad part is, well, I remember thinking when I was a young, when I was a young nerd instead of an old burnt out nerd, about uh, how <laughs> triumphant it was that we had made it to the moon. You know, that human beings, through our own effort and ingenuity and trial and error and blood, sweat, and beer, managed to make it to the moon. Yeah. And now I realize the whole reason we started on our way to the moon in the first place was to beat them damn, damn godless commies. And that's as political as I'll get for this stream. Sorry. You know, though, I mean, like, that was kind of... You're not wrong. And... But, like, that was kind of the... Beating the commies was never going to be about, you know, um, victory through force of arms. Whatever, whatever else, you know, you take away from the Cold War. The, the whole competition that emerged, the whole conflict of wills that emerged between, quote, the West, unquote, or the, the U.S., if you prefer to frame it in these terms, versus the USSR, or global communism, it was never going to be resolved through force of arms. It was going to be resolved through something rather more economic, right? Which is, I think, what Reagan really understood and i mean like he basically just outspent russia to the point that russia was just like okay no more give up but the space race was part of that the space was space race was really part of that and the russians were ahead for the longest time right like they put sputnik they put like, a man in, yeah. yeah sputnik they put a man in space before we did um animals i think too they were the first so but you know it was just kind of it was that it was demonstrating that civilizational will and that institutional will. It was it was really just a great big uh, wasn't even a wasn't even a game of chicken. It was just a big staring contest, right? But it's, it's like the, trying to I don't know. Anyways, I'm just thinking now of like the one time my brother got loaded drunk at a party and tried to have a staring contest with one of my infant children. Um, babies don't blink, by the way, very often. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he lost. He was he was kind of he was kind of shredded after that one. Yeah, but I was obsessed with space and all you know things having to do with it for a while when I was in my tweens. Mm -hmm. And something I took away from that is anytime I ever played a game of NetHack. Who here remembers <laughs> NetHack? I remember NetHack. Absolutely. Whenever I had a pet dog, I would always name it Laika after the first animal in space. The it was a Russian uh, husky that they sent up. Yeah, I remember that. I don't remember if she survived a reentry. I think maybe not. I think that's probably why they used an animal instead of a human being. Which yeah, is the, unfortunate. Uh, Paul Harvey, when he did his show, he did uh, an actual retelling of her story from her perspective, and God, that broke my heart when he read it. Yeah, well, I mean, space is kind of ludicrously dangerous. Oh, the, oh, the rest of the story guy, him. Yes, the yes. rest of the story. 
And I think, you know, while it's played for laughs, I think that's something. Has anybody here played Kerbal Space Program? Yes. Actually, my brother, aforementioned, is a huge Kerbal, well, was a huge Kerbal Space Program player. Who here has had one of their crews crash and burn and die horribly? Sure, we'll say just one. (laughs) Well, my point is, you know, that mechanic, that happening in that game, sets in a stark relief how bad things could have been for us in the space race. Well, you know the unofficial expansion of NASA, right? Oh. You never heard this one? No, I haven't. Need another seven astronauts? Yeah. Um, I remember hearing that joke from my older sister not long after Challenger. Yeah. Well, and you know, like, that's the real tragedy is, I mean, Challenger was a horrible tragedy. And, like, I, I barely remember that. Like, that's kind of right at the boundary between, like, the, you know, the first few years of your life that just kind of gets summarily deleted and then you start actually remembering things. Challenger's right at the boundary of that. Um, yeah, that happened in... Yeah, the next that, one, though. The next one, though. Ugh. Wasn't the next one that went Columbia? Yeah. And what really gets me is I grew up... or I took kindergarten in first grade in Okeechobee, Missouri, or Okeechobee, Florida. You know, okay. every, every time back then, because this was back when the space shuttles were new and shiny and amazing... My kindergarten class, every time there was a space shuttle launch, would tromp outside and look towards Cape Canaveral. Oh, shoot. You probably had a horizon view. We actually got to see the contrail as the shuttles went up. And I remember that. And I, feel, um, and I felt amazingly, you know, I, don't, I can't say it lucky because you can't be lucky in a situation like this, of having moved away from Florida in sixth grade, so I wasn't there to watch Challenger. And yet, there's a certain fortune to that. They actually, I still remember the very special episode of Punky Brewster, because that was one of Mom's favorite shows back then. They did mm-hmm. about the Challenger. And talking about all this makes me feel old. <laughs> oh, is it one of the schools where we all gathered in the auditorium to watch the space shuttle launch? So the entire school was in there and saw the Challenger. Oh, wow. Harsh. Well, I mean, that was one of the first ones. Was that the first one where they had, like, um, ah, her name eludes me now because, of course, but um, she Christy was the first McCall teacher. The teacher? Yeah, she was the first yeah. teacher to go up to space, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, just imagine her class. Oh, yeah. Because wasn't she, I think she was elementary school. Let me actually Google that really quick. Sorry for the sounds of hand washing in the background. I'm uh, throwing down a little bit of snack for my wife to eat when she comes home. Oh, I thought you were fishing in your fish tank. Oh, she was actually high school, uh, a high school teacher. I don't know if that would be better or worse. I mean, just going by my own memories of high school and what people in high school were like. <laughs> oh. 
Well, if she was one of those beloved teachers to her high school class, I'm sure was not any better. Yeah, well, well she probably was after the accident, that's for sure. And now, because of course this is how my brain works, I'm thinking of that one line in, um, did you ever see Deep Impact? Yeah. Very long ago, but I don't remember anything about it. There's this one scene where it's a bunch of the astronauts sitting around on the spaceship. And they've basically realized that their only hope left is uh, like for, for busting up the asteroid and maybe saving part of Earth's population is a kamikaze run. And this one astronaut just kind of leans back and she's just like, well, at least we'll all have high schools named after us. I don't actually know if there's a Krista McCoffey high school, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there is. Maybe more than one. Well, this is a very somber topic. Um, as my time grows short, I want to steer us onto something completely different. Unless you've already talked about this. Has Ultima Online come up at all in the last however long this has been going? No, a little bit of soda talk, but that was it. Okay, well, I just want to, I got to put this out there because this has just been bugging me. This has been stuck in my head like all day since Golem. Pity, pity we don't have Golem tonight, but uh, since Golem. I always posted, like talking to Golem. I know. But Golem posted a link in, I think it was the UDIC Discord server, to a massively OP article in which. They've belatedly come to the realization that the Iris 2 project exists. Um, or existed. I don't think Iris 2 has been in development for a long time. And for those of you who are just like, uh, what now? Um, uh, exactly. Exactly. Iris 2 was a third-party fan-developed 3D client for Ultima Online Free Shards. Um, and I mean, like I've known about Iris 2 for uh, could be a decade by now. Um, when did I start Iera? I don't know. A long time ago. Um, so I've known about Iris 2 for a long damn time. And like, I don't think it's been in development for years now, probably. Heck, it probably stopped development sometime around the same time Virtual Dub did, just to call back to last episode. But, you know, all of a sudden massively op and a couple of other outlets have you know picked up this oh my gosh here's what ultima online would look like in 3d and it's like yeah great that's thanks for catching up guys um to, like iris and i mean to be fair like iris 2 okay and i'll totally grant sorgoin's point looking at it now at the time i still remember you know seeing iris and i was not an ultima online player i was not an ultima online player at all so Knowing what Ultima Online looked like, and then seeing Iris 2 come up in the fan project scene, um, I was tempted. I was really, really tempted to, you know, pick up Iris 2 and get myself to a free shard somewhere. Um, never did because, of course, you know, my dad's idea of home internet was a 288 modem when I was already like 17, and even then we were dialing into the University of Alberta modem pool, so. You know, whatever. Good luck accessing any kind of fun gaming content. I but, still remember mudding on a twenty-four hundred modem. Mm, 
Yes. Well, you know, I fortunately skipped past all of that. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. From the perspective of home internet use, I skipped past all of that. Went right to 28.8 uh, from nothing. While others of my friends were, you know, having DSL and cable internet. But that's okay. I'm not too upset by that now. Uh, now. But, uh, oh, goodness, my wife is giving me homework. Well, uh, I'm familiar with the honeydew list. Well, this is actually more of a thing. She's just like, can you research whether, um, can you, can you research which fast food joint offers the best options for corn free food? So I guess I'm going to have to disconnect and actually pay attention to my browser. We've been dealing with her allergies and trying to tune our understanding of what her allergies are. And corn has really shown up as a villain lately. So, uh, I'm going to have to do a bit of research. So I'll finish this story real quick. But, uh, you know, yeah, we didn't have home internet until, gosh, it was terrible. But, um, like, I mean, I'm talking like the Ultima 9 days, okay? <laughs> Anyways, uh, and even then it was 28.8. So have fun. Um, I did work a lot with low baud rate modems after that point uh, when I started to get into, uh, engineering, computer engineering, and then doing jobs with different companies in the area that were hiring computer engineering talent, starting to work with control systems, a lot of control systems, um, out in the, shall we say less populated parts of Alberta at the time, at least were communicating over, um, very low baud rate modems because <clears throat> radio, it was all radio shots uh, or even infrared shots in some cases, which, uh, uh, nowadays, it's kind of funny, though. Nowadays, a lot, almost everything has gone LTE. And actually, if you look at an LTE coverage map of Canada, if you go to the like Bell or TELUS or one of our cellular providers and look at their coverage maps of Canada and you look at their LTE and 3G coverage maps, um, Alberta stands out like a sore thumb. Everything else, every other province, most of the coverage is clustered along the border with the US because that's where like <clears throat> most of our population is. But Alberta, You've got 4G LTE coverage well up into the northern reaches of the province because of all of the different oil developments going on up there and the demand for communications and connectivity up in those parts. So anyways, um, yes, the Iris 2 client, gosh, that came up on the radar. It was almost enough to get me to try out UO. Not quite, though, but still looked cool at the time. Now I look at it and I'm just like, yeah, okay, that looks really dated and kind of shit, but... Uh, at the time, it looked really awesome. I remember being in the army and getting a magazine that had a promo. This was in 1997, mind you, for use or UO and thinking, I really want to play this because this looked amazing. You know, the idea of an Ultima world that was multiplayer, you know, having all the same uh, avatarly adventures with thousands of other people. Then when yeah, I find cool. Then I finally got a 14-day demo disc in a, you know, if, or as a cover disc with a gaming mag. I spent hours patching it on a 33.6 modem because back in the day, all the patches were sequential. You couldn't just, you know, have it scan each version number and download the files you needed. It, it had to do everything sequential because that's how Origin did it. Yes, and well... As you do. It was one of the first so you didn't have anybody to, you know, as a yardstick to learn from for it, I suppose. And I spent a long time, even without 
too many sliders creating a character trying to figure out what I wanted to be in the world of or world of Britannia. And then within five minutes of playing, I got ganked and said, okay, if that's if that's gonna happen to somebody who's playing a total non-combatant, then I don't want to have anything to do with this, and I have never played Ultima Online since. Uh, it, it's been almost 20 years, and I feel like it's an unreasoning prejudice, but... Your experience was not unusual to... I mean, somewhat... Lum the Mad made that point. Basically, you know... The reason Ultima Online was able to succeed as much as it was, was that, you know, yes, it was hemorrhaging players because so many of them were having exactly that experience. Um, it just, it, as much as it was hemorrhaging players, it was gaining players at a faster rate. So there's that, I suppose. Right. But, uh, you know, it's just, but nowadays, you know, and for, it worked because you was the only game in town, right? Right. When, your choices in the MMO space are basically UO or, well, I guess Meridian 59 was around, but um, well, obviously it did of not. Camelot as well, I think. Well, that came later, right? Like, I'm talking about right when UO launched, right? The UO launched in the first year or so after that. When it's basically the only game in town, Meridian 59 did exist, but eh, and there were MUDs, right? That was your other option. So if you wanted to play a graphical MMO, like it was UO or bust, basically. and it's easy when you're the only game in town to not give a crap about the fact that your new user experience is driving as many people away as it's onboarding, actually slightly less than it's onboarding, right? That's the point. As long as you're having growth, it doesn't matter how many people are trying the game out for five minutes and saying, forget that, never again. But and once the competition space opens up, once you have your Deox and your EverQuests and everything else that came afterwards, um, now all of a sudden you can't just bank on being the only game in town. You actually have to make your new users want to stay with the game longer than five minutes. Right. And I would argue that's a lot of the problem EverQuest and WoW had at their times is uh, with EQ, it, a lot of what it, it is now has feels so aged and backwards thinking. But at the time it was one of the first ones out there to hit it that big, to have those mechanics and, you know, to have, the sort of gameplay that it had. And WoW was one of the first games to have hot bar style combat and to be that mainstream. Now everybody's trying to copy WoW. And even on the decline, it's one of the top ones in the ser in the field. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, WoW is... <laughs> I, I laugh when I, you know... Because I, I, periodically you see news articles, oh, WoW's lost a million subscribers. And it's like, okay, yeah, but that's kind of... It's not like a drop in the bucket. Like, that's a significant loss. But at the same time, it's like, eh, it's not really that. Like, cat losing yeah. hair. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's like you're shedding some hair and that sucks for a while. But, um, you know, and, and there's going to be another expansion. Everybody's going to re-up. Or now it's classic, right? You know. Um, I already have my classic. character names reserved for classic. <laughs> there you go. So, uh yeah, like it's it's not really that uh, you know if if WoW hemorrhages a million players between expansion packs, that's not really terrible, <laughs> you know. Like I mean, in a way, it sucks, but at the same time, WoW keeps going. It keeps being the monolith and the juggernaut that it is. And uh, I, I, 
the people come yeah. back or enough of them come back that it's, you know, it makes economic sense to uh, continue developing the game. And the weird part mode. about it, right. And the weird part about it was, is EQ at its time, but you know, when other games came out, well, before WoW, it was still the one that people went back to because it was the gold standard of the time. Sure. I mean, yeah, I tried out uh, Dark Age of Camelot when I saw it, and yeah, I had about a month of fun, you know, on the free month, but then I ended up going right back to WoW. Or not WoW, but EQ. Even though I sucked at EQ and never got very far in it, but I had fun wandering around lost as crap in the elven forests, or falling off the wood elven city and dying all the time. For sure. Uh. Oh, I have to ask... Oh, uh, speaking of muds, Jill, you're saying that you play oh. one, you still play one periodically. What mud do you play on? Zombie mud. It's based that, out of Finland. As you do. I can't say that I've had the chance to play that one. Most of where I played were Sojourn slash Toral mud, uh, Nirvana, and Three Kingdoms. Uh, this is uh, a custom mud lib based on the LP mud engine. Okay, that, that I'm familiar with because LP seemed to be a good one for modifying into various different things. I'm assuming if it's called zombie mud that it's like zombie apocalypse stuff. Uh, no, it's a medieval D&D type setting. Uh, but one of the features is that if you don't clean up your corpses after combat, they turn into undeads. Oh, you mean your, cor you mean your corpses or the corpses of your kills? The corpses of your kills. That actually makes sense. And they tend to be a lot more powerful than the originals were. Hmm. <laughs> but that makes me feel old because I remember mudding in college as part of what contributed to me burning out. That and me being a, uh, going from being a big fish in a small pond, you know, and where I grew up to going to college and being a tiny fish in a huge pond so going to class kept and emotionally coping with class got harder and harder and harder till i eventually said screw it and just went to the computer lab and mudded i figured out there was more money in unix than there wasn't uh paying people to take classes on stuff i wasn't interested in oh <laughs> and i made the classic freshman mistake my first semester was 18 credit hours all starting at like eight in the morning. Oh, so you took a light load. I, I was literally my first uh, my first class on Mondays was like seven fifty five calculus one. I, I just say I, that because I started off with twenty two credits. And how did you not burn out? Because dear God, eighteen was the maximum uh, for a semester that my uh, that my school allowed you because they thought anything else you'd be working yourself too hard. I took 22 credits. I had one full-time job, two part-time jobs, and I dropped out two weeks before the semester ended. Uh, about a year later, I went back, did 18 credits, made it halfway through the semester, and like I said, I dropped out because I found out there's more money maintaining Unix systems than going to school. Well, I mean, school doesn't tend to be a money-making opportunity. Oh. Now, to be fair, like, I mean, 
I didn't really do the co-op program, co-op engineering program, um, mostly because I wanted to avoid the appearance of nepotism. My dad is one of the coordinators. Uh, but uh, I did certainly pick up a number of engineering-related jobs um, just due to the fact that, you know, I'd go to the job fairs and it'd be the same companies that were hiring co-op students. And they'd take one look at my resume and they'd be just like, oh, let's talk. So, you know, that said, um, I did work with, you know, some of the Linux companies in the area. You're coming in awful robotic there, Kenneth. Sorry, I walked away from the computer. Oh. I'll be back at it in a minute. Oh, I did the, uh, yeah, did the brief military service and then came out, tried the college thing, and then took off for six months and then tried it again. And then the <laughs> dot-com boom hit, and I said, hey, I have computer experience. And there you go. That's been it. <laughs> I went to, to it the other way around. I went. I went to a Baptist college uh, for computer science. Yeah, yeah, that makes no sense. But I had friends that went there, and I essentially got a full ride because of my church. And I promptly burnt out. Then I ended up going to a different college, which was a lot more affordable if you had had screwed up your uh, uh, scholarships. And went as a voice music major, which because music is was my first passion. I, you know, even with being a great nerd, I was always a vocalist first. But I also promptly burnt out. Well, then again, I spent half the semester in and out of hospitals due to pneumonia, but I never really caught up, and you know, depression sunk in, and I burnt out. And then I went into the military. What branch were you in, if you don't mind me asking? Army. Huh. Uh oh. I go ahead. Oh no, keep. And I can't say that I dropped out of the army more than the army dropped me out on a medical. Busted my hip in the second week of training. They kept me in for uh, in training for about a seven more or five more weeks, and you now put me into a, a medical holdover platoon for two months, and finally decided, okay, we don't want you, and sent me home. Man, if you weren't younger than me, I'd ask you if your name was Al. Al? A uh, buddy of mine in uh, boot camp who, same thing happened to him. Uh. <laughs> and what's funny is my drill surgeons like to joke that I should have been put up for a Section 8, which was still a thing at the time, because I actively enjoyed MREs. What was wrong with MREs? Well... People called them three lies in one package at one point. Um, there was also the horrible, at the time I was in, uh, instant egg omelets that were in some of them. Oh, we didn't have those. <laughs> okay, anytime you're dealing with instant egg, though, eh, you're kind but of in trouble. I grew up with all, my whole family being military and grew up eating in mess halls, so I thought MREs were delicious. I didn't do the military route. I was in Scouts Canada from age five on, though. So, you know, camp, camp cooking is, is, could in some cases be considered above um, military rations. Well, but camp, it's 12 year olds doing the cooking. Well, it depends that's on your saying. area. Yeah. Because where I grew up, everybody was military. I grew up across the street from 
a joint military base. So all of our Boy Scout leaders oh, were they would have been, military men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it just fits right in. Uh, I'm, actually, ju- I'm just saying. I think at some of the, some of the things I remember eating, which you know, in true Schrodinger's cat fashion, were both burnt and raw. Um, that's not hard to do. You have your no. Yeah, I'm just saying. Dry, you burn the outside, and we're on the middle. I'm just saying there were times I probably would have preferred an MRE. <laughs> well, let's see if we can get you set up with an old classic Four Fingers of Death someday. Well. They were technically, I believe it was called uh, Beef Frankfurters was the official name or something similar. <laughs> but people called them the Four Fingers of Death. Heavily, heavily quotation marked. Yeah. As long as they weren't green, they weren't too bad. And I, they've had different iterations of omelets in MREs, or at least in American MREs. Y'all just get anything to do with dried eggs? No, just no. Y'all get good stuff up there, like freaking Montreal smoked meat <clears throat> in your MREs. We get stuff like the omelet with ham, or no, it was the vegetable cheese omelet from a few years ago that everybody called the vomlet because it was just disgusting. Ah, uh, pity. Well, it also smells like it. Yeah. Gentlemen, I've arrived at a conundrum. Oh? I, uh, I've i been researching different fast food. My wife is just like, I haven't had a break all day. I need to pick up something on the way home. Um, you know, some, some kind of food on the way home. Uh, can you research these fast food restaurants and see which ones have the least options for corn? Because, um, like I say, that's been an allergen of great concern. She gave me Wendy's and A&W as my objects of research, and I've concluded that it is basically fatal for her to eat anything other than A&W fries. Or at least it would be not recommended. She won't have, die, but she'll have a terrible rash. Ooh, I have to ask. Do, does, I'm sure Canada is a lot more restrictive on corn syrup and everything compared to the United States. Probably, but I haven't looked at the relevant statutes. Because I know that it's all but banned in Europe. Hmm. And here in the United I mean, States, we use it for pretty much everything. Yeah, but corn starch still gets used. Corn flour still gets used. Fair enough. You know. So, uh, so, anyways, uh, yeah, Wendy's, a lot of corn flour in their stuff. Um, corn starch. Um, A&W, broadly the same. But, uh, by the way, here's the thing. My wife will not eat at McDonald's. Ever since she watched Super Size Me, she will not go to McDonald's. Which, fair. Fair enough. But you know they abolished the supersized everything after that series, after that movie happened. Well, that's not my point. My point is she boycotts McDonald's very zealously. They don't have a lot of... There's no corn in a quarter pounder. Well, the funny thing is, is you'd have that kind of happen to you no matter what fast food you ate if you ate nothing but fast food for, you know. Well, yes, yes. And there was a prof that went and demonstrated that some years later. You know, actually not even that long after the thing came out. Um, you know, he just, there, there was some, yeah, nutritionist that basically went out and demonstrated exactly that. It's just like, you know, like it's actually possible to eat McDonald's daily, but maintain a healthy weight. And granted, he was keeping a robust exercise regimen um but still you know like point made right if you but i think spurlock's point was that you know if you're living the typical sedentary lifestyle particular to the north american populace um 
eating McDonald's every day is probably a bad idea. Uh, I I can cop to that having a recliner as my computer chair. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, she won't eat at McDonald's, but unfortunately McDonald's might be the best choice for a burger for her. That's terrible. Well, you could uh, get her hooked on a 20-piece nugget, a double-quarter pounder with cheese, and a large fry. Yes, That's my usual lunch. Sounds tasty. Of course, I also need to eat about 6,000 calories a day to maintain my weight. <laughs> 6,000 calories a day? What do you do for a living? My God. I sit at a desk in an office. Because 6,000 calories a day, that's that's kind of what they wanted. That's less than what they wanted us to have in boot camp. When you're, you know, busting your ass, working, you know, sweating your ass off every single day. Yeah, I have hyperthyroidism. Ah, there you go. (laughs) One suggestion, uh, does Kentucky Fried Chicken have corn starch in their batter? Uh, All the KFCs around here close pretty early. Well, Taco Bell's definitely not an option. No, no. Does Tim Hortons make sandwiches? <clears throat> they do, but I can't find reliable information on their menu as uh, to what exactly is in, like, say, the buns, for example. Well, if there's no uh, corn, I'd say just pick up a box of Timbits and call that your supper. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hang on a sec. Let me look at these. Sorry, I'm just doing a little bit more research. Can't have the sweet potato fries. My goodness. Yeah. Speaking of growing up near a military base, I actually grew up like well, most of my elementary school years were less than an hour away from Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. Yeah, that's where my boot camp was. Hmm. No kidding. I actually want. Well, this is a really funny thing because when I was getting inducted, that what they did was they bust me off to Kansas City to MEPS for all my, you know, for all the testing and ASVAB and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, when I was actually being sent to where I was going to get my basic, they sent, they flew me to St. Louis, then bust us to Fort Leonard Wood. I'm thinking, I just, you could have drove me there in less than an hour to get me <laughs> from my home. So I spent multiple hours in transit to go less than a hundred miles from my house, you know, classic military efficiency for you. Yeah, going out there wasn't too bad. I flew from—I don't remember where we flew out of, but we went into St. Louis and then we took a puddle jumper from St. Louis somewhere over to close to Leonard Wood. But when I came home, I got bus to a different airport, took a puddle jumper to St. Louis, then flew to Philly. Then flew to another airport that I don't remember, and then got bussed back to Central Jersey, and then got released there. So that was a little weird. Just a little. And I remember is that they had us up in the Ramada Inn right by MEPS, but they had a special rule: if you're if you're part of the MEPS group, you didn't get to have the complimentary booze. Like everybody else who was staying there did. Yeah, I still feel bad for whoever got my um, the results of my test because it wasn't me. I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> no. 
I never really drank when I was younger, and after I turned about okay, when I turned twenty six, I was when I was diagnosed with the blood issues I have, and from then on, I haven't touched alcohol at all. You know, I like to live as you do. Generally, a good start. But just because they wouldn't give us the complimentary uh, drinks that was supposed to come with your meals at the Ramada Inn didn't stop the people from actually bringing in their own. Because you have a you know you have a young group, especially a young group of potential or currently serving military. Ah, there's going to be drinking happen. Well, my friends made sure I had a proper going away party when I left, uh, and the MEP station I shipped out from uh, Philly, their MEP station. But I stayed in a Days Inn that was five minutes from my girlfriend's house. Talk about a good going away. <laughs> Bad taste, I'm sorry. I smiled. Wow, I can't find any information about corn in Tim Hortons. Yeah, me neither, so I don't know what to think about that. They do say their bacon grilled breakfast wrap does not contain fish, glutamates, mustard, peanuts, sesame, shellfish, or tree nuts. And glad I am for it, but unfortunately that does not help. While I know that Tim Hortons has bled over into northern the northern United States, I live in Florida, so I couldn't tell you a blessed thing. Coffee's not bad. That's about all I can tell you. Yes, I've been regaled with the legends of the Double Double. You know what, though? I got to admit, um, like I mean, KFC is still all right. But uh, I got to. There was an interesting thing that happened, at least in Canada. Um, Tim Hortons was partnered with this one coffee roaster for the longest time, and then, after one acquisition or another, um, parted ways with said roaster and went to a different supplier for their coffee grounds. And that's not to say that Tim Hortons coffee is terrible; it's still pretty serviceable. But McDonald's, pretty much as soon as Tim Hortons let those guys go, McDonald's was like, "Hey, so we need coffee." So consequently, if you want like OG Tim Hortons coffee, get a McCafe, at least in Canada. It wasn't that their attempt at trying to be a pseudo frou-frou Starbucks style latte stuff. They do some of that, but and I don't really give a crap about that. They make a quite serviceable cup of coffee, which I'm quite happy to indulge in when I have the opportunity. Yeah, when they revamped the coffee, it's worlds different than what McDonald's coffee used to be. Yeah, McDonald's coffee has been historically disgusting. No, not no more, at least in Canada. Yeah, my last few experiences here in the States has been drastically different. Granted, I've only gone there breakfast and gotten coffee probably four times in the past five years. Still. But yeah, definitely when they switched over to that whole McCafe system, it got a lot better. For sure. Well, shoot. All right. I got to hang it up um, because my wife is probably going to be home right away. So. And hungry. Yes. And well, hopefully I've whip up something here. So I'm going to deal with that. But uh, it sounds like this corn allergy is a new thing. It's relatively recent. Yeah. So we're trying to. I mean, she's had allergies for most of her life. And 
we've gotten very good at managing them. Kids have allergies too. So, you know, like I mean, we're pretty good at managing all of this stuff. But when a new one comes along, it's just, ah, oh, shoot. Okay. Well, once we figure out what the new one is, and then it's just a case of, okay, well, I guess we just have to manage this and figure out what to do from there. I mean, for some things, it's easy, right? Like, you use cornstarch to thicken a gravy. You can use just straight up flour too. It's not a big deal. Um, I'm familiar with thickening gravy like that. Yeah. But just the sheer amount of stuff that corn is in. I don't know what our laws are regarding this, but I mean, if not corn syrup, then corn starch, corn flour. Gosh, just everywhere. I have another friend who's allergic to corn too. I've so. never heard of a corn allergy before, but then again, I have family that it's a traditional side dish whenever we have big get-togethers is corn on the cob. Yeah, you well, and I mean, like, the roasted. hey, and it's delicious. It is delicious right. that way. You grill it in, I, I like to grill it in the husks because, of course, then that keeps the charring away from the corn, but keeps all the heat in. But uh, anyways, I guess no more. Okay. I'm out. But you guys keep chatting for a bit, and I'll turn Craig off, or he'll auto turn off whenever nobody's talking anymore. Actually, it's uh, it's one thirty here. I think I'm probably just gonna bail and try to chill out before going to sleep. All right. Uh, I think I'm going the same way here. Cool. Well, then y'all have a good night. You too. Good talking to you too, gentlemen. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email at ultimacodex at gmail.com or if you're feeling a bit braver you can leave us a voice message in one of three places the podcast website our facebook page or on anchor.fm you're also welcome to join us on discord to chat with us and to lurk or contribute to podcast recordings when they happen if you want to join the ultimate dragons you can do so at udic.org where at you can choose your very own dragon name you can also find the ultimate dragons on facebook and on google plus you can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter, or join them on Slack or Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live for everyone else. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio on occasion and possibly other interesting content. But if a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can always buy your video games at GOG. We are a partner of that fine site, and every time you buy one or more games at GOG via the links on our websites or in the show notes. That helps us out. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spam 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 humbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. <laughs>